So Acts 2, starting from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're going to flick over to uh, verse 32 now, just on the next page. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And finally, glance down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Thanks, Iona, very much indeed. Let's begin with a prayer. Loving Father, thank you for giving your Holy Spirit to all your people that first Pentecost. And we need your Holy Spirit now to help me to speak faithfully and truly, to help us all by your Holy Spirit to receive what you're saying to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Must admit, every time I hear that reading of the, the first day of Pentecost, I uh, get slightly nervous, and I remember a time, if you can imagine me, a little over 50 years ago, with uh, shorts on and a Cub Scout uniform, reading in church. First time I ever did something in public in church. I was terrified. I got through it, 
But I remember thinking from beginning to end, I have no idea what is happening here. I have no idea what this is about. Because actually we stopped very early, even before the first little chunk. So all I got to read was about the fact that all the, the Christian disciples, the very early Christian disciples, were in a room. And then in the middle of the room, there was this violent wind, which is a bit strange in a house, because what are walls meant to do but to stop winds? But inside this room, there's a violent wind, and then there are tongues of fire that come down and land, as it were, on each one of them individually. And I was trying to understand what that might look like even. And then we're told they began to speak in other tongues. That simply means languages. So they began to speak in languages they'd never learnt. What on earth is going on? And I reckon it was at least 10 years after reading that in my Cub Scout uniform that I even began to understand. The key, of course, is to read on. And what happens is the people who were there, a number of them saw what was happening and they thought, this is very strange, which is an understandable reaction. It is very strange. And we're told, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then Peter the Apostle gets up and says, let me explain. Let me explain. Some were beginning to think, are these people drunk? Because they didn't recognize the languages and they were babbling away in words that no one else understood. And they thought, are they drunk? And Peter gets up and says, no, they're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. Let me tell you what's happening. And there are two essential truths that he shares. This is a new era because there's a new king. It's as simple as that. New era, new king. It's a new era. And he goes back to the Old Testament. And you know, the Bible is basically one book, although there are lots of different bits within it. It's essentially one story. And it begins at creation. You can't get further back than that as far as the history of our world is concerned. God made the heavens and the earth. And then it describes how human beings rebelled against God and everything went wrong. And then God makes an amazing promise. Despite the way in which we pushed him out of our lives and out of the world and everything's gone messed up, God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to restore people to a relationship with me. I'm going to put things right. And the Old Testament shows that promise partially fulfilled in the history of God's people, Israel. But the prophets who spoke the word of God, people like Joel, who Peter quotes, say, actually, the full fulfillment of this promise of God to put things right and to call the people back to himself is still to come. So when the people are looking around and saying, Peter, what on earth is going on? This is very strange. He gets up and says, look, this is what the prophet Joel many years ago said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He said, there'll come a time in the future when God will finally act to introduce a whole new era. And he says, that time has come. And when that time comes, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. See, God's Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times came on a few people 
just for a few occasions, for a few particular jobs. So you might get uh, the king of Israel would be anointed with the Holy Spirit and he'd be equipped to do his job. You get prophets who speak the word of God and they had the Holy Spirit that enabled them to proclaim God's word to the people. You even get mention of some craftsmen who designed beautiful things in the temple of God and the Holy Spirit came and equipped them for that task. But it was just a few people, almost always men, almost always older men. And what the prophet Joel is saying, God says that in the future, all my people, both young and old, men and women, will receive the Holy Spirit. All God's people will know him intimately. All God's people will be able to serve him. Well, just grasp the significance of that. It means since that first occasion on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost was a kind of harvest festival, but there they were, and this extraordinary act happened. Everything's changed since then. It's now possible for everyone, not just special people, not just those who lead congregations like Andy, who's very special, obviously, but everyone who comes to know Jesus, everyone can know God personally. And that's an amazing thing. Because a lot of people have this idea that God is a long, long, long way away. And we human beings have been desperately trying to find him. And God isn't playing the game. I, I sometimes put it like this. Hide and seek is a wonderful game. Did you, did you play when you were a little, little kid? You probably played with kids. Great game, hide and seek. And it's not a very complicated game. Basic rules one goes to hide, and then you go and look for them, and then you find them. That's the basic rule. And it's not difficult, is it, with kids, because normally they want you to find them. So you can hear them giggling, even as you say, coming, ready or not, big giggles. Well, part of the game is not to find them too quickly, so you, you go into, you know that they are in the bathroom, in the bath, because that's where they always hide, in the bathroom, but don't go there too quickly. You go into the bedroom and say very loudly, I wonder if Jane is in the bedroom. Loud giggles from the bathroom. And eventually you go, and even before you go in the bath, they're out the bath and in your arms, and it's, it's all very exciting. And the grown-up who gets their chance to hide and finds the perfect hiding place and doesn't breathe a word and stays hitting and the kids start crying and then they wail and then they give up and they moan and the adult is still hiding. You haven't understood the game, have you? If that's what you're doing. And some people think religion's a little bit like that. We human beings are desperately searching for God because we want to know him. But God is being like that adult spoil sport who's hiding without giving a whisper. And the Bible says it's the complete opposite. God is not a distant God. He wants to be known. He's come to earth in the person of his son, Jesus. And when anyone comes to him, the Holy Spirit comes into their life. And so we can know Jesus. We can know God intimately. And this isn't just for a special kind of person. It's for everyone, young and old, rich and poor, 
men and women. It's for anyone. And that's an amazing new era. And so it means, if you're someone who thinks, I'd love to know God, well, the great news is, you can. And you don't, you don't have to become a vicar, or a monk, or a nun. You just need to come to Jesus. And everyone, everyone can have the privilege that in the times before Jesus came was only a privilege for a few people, those special prophets, those special kings. But now there's a new era, and this is for everyone. But then the question comes, why now? I mean, what's changed? Well, there's a new era because there's a new king. And it's very striking that we didn't have time to read all of the, the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. But what's very striking is his sermon is all about Jesus. Now, every year, all around the world, Christians celebrate Pentecost Sunday, and normally there's a sermon about the Holy Spirit and uh, all the, the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does in Christians and what he enables us to do and so on, and that's all very good. What is very interesting is... On the first sermon, on the first day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, Peter didn't preach about the Holy Spirit. He preached about Jesus. And so having quoted from that wonderful prophet Joel passage, he then quotes from various other Old Testament passages which speak about what God is going to do in his coming king. Because all God's promises, do you remember I said the, big, the Bible begins with creation and then everything gets messed up and then God makes a promise and everything's going to be much better and people will be able to know God personally and all those promises are focused on his king. There's going to be a king of the line of David and ultimately that king is Jesus. So the question is, why have all these things happened now? Why is it possible now for us to know God? It's because there's a new king. Jesus has come. And Peter, in his sermon, says we can know that because of what's happened on the day of Pentecost. Because only the king of kings, the new king, could have brought about this new day. Only he could have done it. Now, I'm going to ask you to stretch your imaginations. This is going to sound a little bit weird. But just suppose you went into uh, Sainsbury's um, you won't be able to do it after now because it'll be closed on a Sunday. So let's say tomorrow you go into Sainsbury's and you're looking around and there you happen to see someone and as you look, you, you think, that man is the spitting image of the king. I mean, exactly the same face. And you're about to sort of bow or curtsy because you've been very well brought up and you, you're going to say your majesty. And then you look again and you notice that he's wearing jeans and trainers, he's chewing gum, and he's got a t-shirt on which says guns and roses. And you think, now that, that's just, there's something a bit odd about this. I'm not sure the king, although he looks exactly like the king, would be wearing a t-shirt, guns and roses, and you're not so sure. Well, it was a, a little bit like that when Jesus came on earth, because there were so many things about him that made them think, this is the king. I mean, who else could it be? He healed the sick. He made the lame walk. He raised the dead. The Bible said that when the king came, he
He'd show great compassion and love to everyone. He'd care for the poor. Jesus spent time with the poor and the needy, the outcasts of society. This is what we're expecting. But then they found that he was also despised and rejected by most people. And you kind of think, this great king, surely he'd be adored by people, they'd put a crown on his head, but they didn't. In fact, the only crown they put on his head was a crown of thorns. You'd kind of think that he'd, that he'd be given some great chariot to ride as he went to his capital city, but what he rode was a donkey. A bit like the king rocking up on a state visit on a bicycle. Just doesn't fit. And they're thinking, this, this can't be the king. And then to make things worse, he's crucified. And they ram nails through him. And this has just happened not long before Peter preaches. So they're thinking, well, is he the king? No, he can't be the king. Been crucified. But then the miracle happens. Tongues of flame come down and every single believer receives the Holy Spirit that they might know God intimately. And Peter says, look, let me tell you how this is going to happen. This is evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead and has ascended into heaven and is the king of kings. Exalted, verse 33, to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. What is happening now is evidence that Jesus really is the king and that he's been raised and he now sits at the right hand of God. He's the new ruler. There's a new era because there's a new king and that's why the Holy Spirit has come. It's wonderful that you're thinking at City about the Holy Spirit over these weeks. And I used to think that um, God the Father was, was, was here and he, is, he made the world. Human beings turned away from him and um, he was rightly angry because human beings turned from him. But he's also amazingly gracious and loving. And so he wants to nonetheless call people to himself so he sends his son Jesus and Jesus dies on the cross and because Jesus Christ died on the cross and took the penalty for the sins that we've done we can be forgiven so that's the God the, the job of God the father and God the and God the son they are in the salvation business but then where does the Holy Spirit fit in so I used to think well anything that was a little bit weird and that seemed a bit kind of I couldn't put him in any other category or supernatural or things I couldn't understand. That was the work of the Holy Spirit, as if he's kind of doing a sideshow over here while the Father and the Son are involved in the great work of salvation. And what's striking on this first sermon on the day of Pentecost is, no, 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 you can't divide the work of the Son and the Spirit. It's the Son who sent the Spirit to introduce the new era. And the Spirit points to the Son. And so notice how Peter concludes his sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So here's the challenge. The Holy Spirit's come. There's a whole new era. It's now possible 
to know God. And that's a sign that Jesus Christ really is the Saviour who died on the cross, the Lord who now reigns at the right hand of God. And so the message is, come to Jesus, bow the knee and say, yes, you are the King. Please forgive me for rebelling against you. Please help me to live for you. And Peter says, if you do that, you receive this wonderful double gift of forgiveness for the way you've rejected the king. And bear in mind, they've just killed the king. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus and points to Jesus. And notice what happens in the rest of the book of Acts. The moment the Holy Spirit came on all those disciples, what does Peter do? He starts telling people about Jesus. And as you look through the rest of the book of Acts, what happens is all the Christians who've received the Holy Spirit continue to talk about Jesus. I said that it took 10 years before I understood what on earth was happening here. And when I really understood was when I became a Christian. And I'd, I'd heard talk of the Holy Spirit. Actually, in the church that I went to when I was a kid, in, uh, we sang it in one of the songs. We talked about the Holy Ghost rather than the Holy Spirit, and that felt very weird to me because I'd seen ghosts on television and they wore sheets of white, and I thought, what, what's all this going on? I didn't really understand the Holy Spirit. But then I became a Christian, and I began to realize what the New Testament was saying. It was the, the Holy Spirit who'd opened my heart to receive Jesus. And that's how we too can know God and have an intimate friendship with God, just as those prophets and kings of the Old Testament. He opens our hearts to receive Jesus. And then I found he opened my mouth to speak about Jesus, just as he opened Peter's mouth on that first day of Pentecost to speak about Jesus. I was a very, very shy kid. So it was a big thing for me at eight to stand with my knees literally knocking. And because I was wearing shorts, you'd have seen them knocking. But then, age 18, I found I began to speak. Why? Because I believed in Jesus and I wanted others to know about him. So all the way through this series, you'll hear lots and lots of wonderful things about the Holy Spirit. But you'll always be reminded that you can't divide the Father and the Son and the Spirit because what the Spirit is doing is bringing glory to the Father by pointing people to Jesus. And so let's pray that our hearts are open as we learn more and more about the Holy Spirit to delight in the privileges we have of belonging to this new era and knowing this new King and that our mouths would be open so more and more we tell others this great news that they too can know God because he's not hiding from them. He's come close in the person of Jesus and the Spirit. Let me say a prayer.